this episode of The Full Nerd, Comet Lake H, G-Force RTX Super, Minecraft RTX, and Ghost Canyon Nook. Welcome to The Full Nerd, episode 135. I'm your host, Gord Mong, with co-host Brad Charkis. Hey, Internet. Elaine Yee in one of these boxes. Hello. And Adam Patrick Murray has control of the all switch. Uh, you know, I have to interject here and say that we are missing a very key topic. Uh, some some news landed within the past couple of days that we're not talking about here, and I'm really upset that it didn't make it on the show. Uh, Valve has put in an official patent for the Steam Controller 2. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know why we're not talking about that today. But, you know, I guess I'll bring my grievance oh. somewhere else. <laughs> All right. <laughs> instead, well, that's good to know. Instead, we should talk about some uh, comic comic like H. Yes, of course. This is Intel's tenth uh, generation laptop H part. That's uh, basically the. Uh, I don't think the H actually stands for anything, but for heavy duty, you're going to use this in most fifteen, fourteen, seventeen inch laptops, um, thirty five, forty five watts and up. 10th gen, still 14 nanometer, of course, uh, if you're not keeping track of current events. But I will argue on behalf of Comet Lake H that this is the best Core i7 we've ever seen in a laptop. You would hope so. Yeah, you would hope so because it's newer, but it's a significant, <laughs> it's a significant increase. We're just going to kick off in some benchmarks. First one, Cinebench R20. And you can see here uh, in green is Gigabyte's new Aura Aero, sorry, Aero 17 with a Core i7-10875H, 8 cores, 16 threads, uh, single, uh, single core boost of up to 5.1 gigahertz. And big difference, though, is 8 cores. Before, Core i7 was always limited to 6 cores, and all the Core i9 got the, got the 8 cores. Obviously, Intel is reacting to some things in the market. This new Core i7 is basically right there with previous Core i9 8-core chips. Right? It's essentially as fast as in Cinebench R20, because Cinebench R20 is a heavier load. It's as fast as a Core i9 9880H. I always mix that up. <clears throat> in a similar 5-pound laptop. So... Basically, if you look at the score of, say, a 97H and an 87H, those are what you used to get with the, the top-end Core i7s, basically six cores. You're now getting eight cores. It's a very, very decent increase in performance for the Core i7, probably about as big as the original 8750, which went from previous quad-core to six cores. Very good. We're going to click on to, of course, the reason that uh, that makes Intel justify all this. And that is Cinebench R20 single-threaded performance. Again, 5.1 gigahertz on very light loads. Pretty much it smokes everything at 5.1 gigahertz. And this is just the i7. So the Core i9 will arguably be slightly faster. It's ahead, of course, uh, over that uh, brand new Ryzen 4000. But very interestingly, it's actually faster than the Core i9 9900K desktop part in an Alienware, as well as a Core i9-9980HK in a Predator Helios 700. That is a 
11 pound laptop. The Aero 17 is about five and a half pounds. So those single core, those high boost clocks really do pay off. It's basically what sort of makes the, the i7 very good besides also getting eight cores. We're going to skip all of the other benchmarks. We've done a ton of rendering benchmarks, encoding benchmarks, blah, 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 blah. Let's get to sort of what, what is actually, I think, very, very helpful in helping you understand where this part is really good at, how it's good. And that is taking the i7, uh, 10875H, putting up against the previous, uh, i7-9750H that pretty much powered almost every sort of mid-range to high-end even gaming laptop this previous year over the last, what, 12 to 14 months. Mm-hmm. And so where we take Cinebench, we run it from one thread all the way up to 16 threads. I'm using Cinebench R15, so it's a lighter load. It finishes faster. It's not quite as heavy as R20, but you get a feel for the strength of this chip on light loads on the left side of this chart versus heavy loads on the right side of the chart. Uh, obviously, 9750H wasn't bad, um, but still the 10.8... Yeah, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> 10.875H is still 14 double digits across the board faster. And once you get up to about four threads and up to 16 threads, it's it's pretty much whooping that previous i7-9750H. So that's why I would argue this is a serious win for the 10th gen part for Common Lake H against Coffee Lake H refresh. And the next chart is comparing against the previous Core i9, 8-core. Again, remember... Core i9s got all the eight cores. They were first class. You were sitting back in your terrible United economy flight. That's why I fly to Computex. I don't fly business. I don't fly that that first class. <laughs> You're behind that curtain. They got all the eight cores. How does it compare? The strength, again, is very, very good boost clocks. Uh, the Core i9 9880H was a really good chip in the laptop this was running in, which is an MSI uh, GE65, very fast laptop, but it is artificially limited because Intel wants to make you pay for the high-end HK part to get more clock speed. But still, that 99, uh, 980H, pretty good on the right side of the chart where it's lighter load than Cinebench R20. So it is definitely faster, even though you get eight cores, but not that much. We're looking at single digits, but the left hand, that uh, 10875H, 10th gen is just kind of rocking it with those very, very high clocks. And that is one of the great reasons you'd want this over, say, it over a previous Core i9 if you if you tend to use light loads. But, of course, we can't ignore the 7 nanometer elephant in the room, and that is the next chart. <laughs> this is the Aero 17 versus the Asus G14, ROG Zephyrus G14, with the Ryzen 9 4900HS. I know Intel fans say, well, that's not fair because it's Ryzen 9. This is a Core i7. You wouldn't put a Core i7 against a Core a Ryzen 9 and desktop. Why would you do it on, on laptop? I agree with that. Um, and it is tough because you can never divorce the CPU from the laptop it's in. But at the same time, this is a, a G14. It is a three and a half, a three and a half pound laptop versus the Aero 17, which is a five and a half pound laptop, but 17 inch screen with an RTX card in it, a much bigger RTX card. So you could argue that maybe it'll be close. And I don't want to draw conclusions, but I'm going to say I think Ryzen 7's 
Ryzen 9 or Ryzen 7 is going to do pretty damn well as well once we get it. So I would but, I would also before you go into but to me we were talking about this a bit in Slack. Uh, it's not as unfair as a comparison as you might think because this new look Core i7 does have eight cores clocked a little bit lower than Core i9. And that's really what the 4900HS is too. It has eight cores. It's clocked a little bit slower than the higher end. Right. You know, so that's maybe. a good it's point. It's not as unfair as you might think. And I, yeah, it's, it's a good point because I always forget, but the 4900H is an S part. So it's an HS. So it is a 35, 35 watt part. There's a faster 45 watt Ryzen coming out and, um, it'll be interesting to see how Ryzen 7, cause we, I haven't seen scores yet. I haven't gotten one. Ryzen 7 H parts, you know, we'll see how that fight shapes up, but doesn't matter. This is actually somewhat similar to what we saw a little bit on the desktop because if you look at that left side of the chart, 10th gen core i7, common lake H. Definitely faster. Nine percent is nothing to to to, to scoff at. Nine percent on single thread performance is pretty good. Again, that's that five point one gigahertz boost. And you know, we for the most part up to about you know two to three th- threads, four threads. Uh, Common Lake H is faster than the Ryzen nine forty nine hundred HS. But it gets ugly from there because the efficiency of that Ryzen nine is just you can't. It's it's pretty crazy, but look, you're looking at 18%, 17% by the time at the far right on 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 all core, all thread load, we're looking at 22% higher performance in Cinebench, arguably lighter. But uh, again, this isn't the only thing I ran. There were a lot of things where Ryzen 9 just simply rocked that uh, Comet Lake part. But again, left hand side, gaming loads very light. You could argue that. Core i7 Comet Lake is a better better part for some people. That's what I was going to say, because Intel's, you know, for the last couple of years, this big thing is, hey, we kick ass at gaming, right? And gaming, some games, particularly open world games, are starting to use more cores. But in general, most games use one, two, maybe four threads. And if you look at that chart, I mean, Intel does have a clear lead in those one to four thread, you know, single thread performance. Yeah. And I would agree with that, because I think, and I always get in arguments with people like say, oh, well, you need eight cores, 16 threads for gaming. And uh, I'm sorry, there might be a few games that might use it, but 95%, probably more games don't really need don't that many ever, threads. Don't ever I, need that. I wish they would. I wish they would. But that's not the real reality. So Intel's argument, and again, that's why same thing on desktop, we have higher clocks if you're just a gamer, well, just a gamer, then you might want a, a i9 over a Ryzen 9. But, you know, uh, I do want to get to uh, the next slide, which is something we haven't done before. I've been kind of messing with it because I wanted to look at some AI loads. This is Topaz Video Enhance AI 1.02. I basically take an ancient old video clip that I shot of my kids, 720p. It's like a minute and a half long. It's on one of those flip style camera. It's a Kodak flip style clone camera. And I said, well, you know what? Let's take this and upscale it to 1080p. Um, and I didn't go to a high resolution because I couldn't wait that long, but using Topaz AI, it basically uses OpenVINO, uh, which, you know, is, is machine learning, artificial intelligence, running it on the CPU. And it does a frame by frame upscale and sharpening of that video. A minute and a half, 720p to 1080p. 
I really kind of wanted to see how they would perform because this is um, the result is in minutes. And we're talking five to six to seven hours to run. So I basically would start this at night, wake up the next morning, and it would still be running sometimes. So I ran those on four laptops. Ryzen 9, again, showing the efficiency, even on one, two, three, four, five, even a five-hour, 100% CPU encode, it's still faster, although very slight, over that Common Lake H. Common Lake H does pretty decently. It's not that far behind that uh, Ryzen 9. Again, it's a Core i7, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. We hear you. But this is a very, very long load. Uh, I'm really surprised by that Omen X2XS because that is a 9750 in there. It's a six core. I really thought it would have been much farther back. And now it makes me think maybe I, I'm going to have to rerun this again. But again, it takes, you know, six hours to run once. I'll have to run this a couple more, maybe four times just to make sure it's right. But it is possible that the Omen X2XS with its liquid metal CPU application is actually showing very good dividends because I really expected it to be nearly the same as that Acer um, uh, Predator Triton 500 with the 8750H. That's the six core. And Everybody's test said, hey, you know what? 9750H is no different than 8750H. They were both six core chips. It was like nothing to write home about. But you, you can see it's taken at least a couple more hours for that six core to finish. I'm really shocked by that uh, Omas X. Maybe that's me, but maybe it's actually the liquid metal on that, on that uh, hmm. CPU application. But still, cool. Ryzen 9 and Common Lake H are really right there kind of finding each other in a five hour all CPU encode. It doesn't, you know, you're not running here at five gigahertz or even four or five gigahertz. A lot of time it's falling all the way back to two to three to whatever they're going to. By the time you're at like five hours of running the CP at 100%, you're not running at the highest clocks available. But there's something else I do want to talk about. And the crazy thing is you would never actually use the CPU for doing a video upscale, at least I wouldn't, if you happen to have a real graphics card inside. All of these laptops have RTX cards in them. And I also ran Topaz Video Enhance AI using the GPU focused. Um, you can basically have it use the GPU instead of just the CPU. And it's, it's a GPU, so why am I going to low rent it at 1080p? So I actually took it up to 4K. So this is taking a 720p video, a family video, and upscaling it to frame by frame to 4K. A lot of people would do this with their family videos to watch on their TV. We're not looking at, you know, five hours. We're looking about an hour and a half. Uh, that RTX 2070 Super Max Q, look at, that's all kind of beautiful there. 85 minutes to run on that Aero 17. Next up is the RTX 2080 Max Q in the Omen 2, Omen X 2XS. 101 minutes. Not bad, but you would think the, the 2080 Max Q would be faster or at least at the same as that 27, but uh, this is a previous generation Max Q part. One of the things NVIDIA said they did with current gen Max Q in the Supers and the 2060 is they have figured out ways to get them a lot closer. It used to be Max P, which is the full part 
It's not really officially called Max P, but you have the full performance part, and then you would take it and you would do the Max Q version. A 2080 Max Q would often be as fast as a 2070, sometimes slower. So this is actually a pretty good showing for the 2070 Super Max Q part. Yeah, it is. They uh, not only is the 2070 Super already on the desktop, pretty close, and on the laptop, uh, spec wise to the original 2080. Uh, the new Max-Q parts also have all those uh, power efficiency, like the lower power GDDR6 memory and the new voltage regulators and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if that makes a big difference here because all the energy they save, they can just pump right into pure GPU performance. So this yeah. might be proof of it in action. I'm hoping it is because, I mean, again, if we look in that previous chart, look at that 2060 Max-Q. Remember, this is a GPU load. It's damn near as fast as that 2060 non-Max Max-Q part. So we have two modern 20 year 2020. Basically, it's anything new produced now, Max Q. Those parts are are really, really fast. And I, I think Max Q is actually uh, is something that sort of people used to recoil a little bit at because you gave up so much more performance. This time, I think it's, it might be something like, yeah, I don't even care when these new generation Max Q because it's just not much of the matter. Um, <clears throat> one more thing. I did get a chance. This is for the Ryzen versus the Core i7 people. This next one, I used a modern version of Handbrake. I took a 4K file. I converted it using H.265 1080p uh, uh, preset. And I used basically QuickSync versus um, NVIDIA uh, AMD's video coding encoder. So basically quicksand encoding performance versus AMD's VCE. Because a lot of people are always jazzed about quicksync, quick, quicksync. I think quicksync is awesome. It has been awesome. But I wanted to try a, a, a quicksync encode versus AMD's VCE. I didn't get a chance to do that a couple months ago when I did the original uh, Ryzen 9. Went ahead and did that. Ryzen 9 with its Radan cores. 334. Ra- Radeon Vega. Clearly faster in this one instance, this, this test, than the UHD graphics in the uh, 10875. Although arguably isolate graphics, Z graphics is where you kind of want to see, uh, see the showdown. And then of course we have the, the Triton 500. I will say, even though uh, QuickSync and VCE are technically Doing the encode in hardware on the graphics in the media engine, it's it's clear to me that I'll, the performance of the x86 side, the CPU cores matter too because the uh, Aero 17 with eight cores is definitely faster than the Triton 500 with its six cores. They really should be about the same because the UHD graphics between these two chips doesn't change that much, except for the clock speeds. Sorry, one more, Ooh. actually two more. So we're almost at the end. Sorry. Uh, I do also, because Super, just to show off just how amazing Super is, I use Octane RTX 2019. It is a rendering engine that is especially made to run on NVIDIA hardware. So sorry, AMD. <clears throat> but all of these happen to be RTX laptops. These are also with the current uh, game ready driver, which I saw a huge difference in performance, 30% in some laptops. But look what's in front there. Octane RTX 2019, 573, Omen X2XS with the, you know, older RTX 2080 Max Q, 503. 
I mean, that RTX Super 2070 Super Max Q is just all kinds of win. Uh, and a five-pound laptop, too. I love to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's five and a half pounds. It's actually very impressive to get that kind of performance. I will say, though, the fans are not your friends. You better wear some headsets that turn up the volume because it gets loud. Uh, hold on real 3D quick. Mark- uh, Ziv is asking, uh, what are the unit measurements uh, down here again on this chart? Uh, this is whatever it's, you know, it's, it's a synthetic benchmark based on their, on the Octane RTX rendering engine. So it's just simply, I unfortunately didn't write down. This could be, you know, pixels per second. Essentially, it's not that different than a Cinebench result, right? Basically, 573 versus 441 of, uh, of a Max Q 2060 part. But again, that's very good for that Max Q part. That Max Q 2060 is right there with that, uh, full Max P 2060, right? So, very impressive. Uh, last super benchmark is, of course, ray tracing performance. I did also do Quake 2 RTX testing. There's other testing in the actual review of Common Lake H and Super in the Aero 17 review and the Common Lake H review at PCWorld.com. But here's 3D Mark Port Royal because I do like to see, you know, how the ray tracing performance is. I know some people might not believe in 3D Mark, but 3D Mark, there's a reason why all the Extreme overclockers use it. It is extremely consistent. Here you're seeing the ray tracing performance of that 2070 Max-Q part. Just the ray tracing. And again, it's pretty awesome. Look, it's right there with the 2080 Max-Q part in an Omen X2XS. It's as fast as a previous full-speed 27, a Max-P 2070. And again, uh, it's not just that 2080 Max Q in the Omen, the GS75 Stealth, about five pounds, RTX 2080 Max Q, the 2070 Max Q, 2070 Super Max Q is about, is a little bit faster. Obviously, the only way to get more speed is to get up into a bigger laptop or where they're going to crank up those speeds. Look at that Alienware. Alienware likes to really, really swing for the fences, but really, you're not getting a lot more performance until you get into a full-size 8 to 11-pound giant laptop with an RTX 2080 inside. So 2070 Super Max Q, and it looks like those super parts are pretty impressive. And again, let's look at that. Look at that performance of that 2060 Max Q in that in that uh, uh, Zephyrus G14. It's actually faster than a couple other 2060 laptops. Hmm. So. Those, uh, this, these new Max Q parts, it's not, it's not your uncle's Max Q, I think is probably the <laughs> safe, safe thing to say. My last chart before I stop hogging this, this discussion is, uh, arguing why this, I know Ryzen fans, you're gonna, you're gonna say whatever, but just hang on, just hang on. <laughs> Look at this. Core i7-10875H. The bottom blue bar in this chart. Cinemench R15 performance. 1529. That's pretty good because previous i7 was 1500. I mean, 1200. And then when you step back to KB Lake, it was 700. And KB Lake through Broadwell is essentially the same because you're quad cores. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the progression, I tried to basically find high end core i7 parts from Intel. And we have actually come a long way. I know clearly there was stagnation between 
2012 and 2017, because it was just all quad cores over and over and over again, it was the worst between 2012 and 2017, especially that sort of like Broadwell, Skylake, KB Lake H range. But in the last couple generations, Intel's really stepped it up. They've really stepped it up. And to see us go from 2017 from quad core to 2018 with six cores and now 2020 with eight cores is pretty good for Core i7, and it's pretty good for Intel. But of course, yes, there's that red bar at the bottom, which you can't ignore, and that is Ryzen 9 4900 HS, low power part, 1900. It's just it's just killing it. It's just killing it. And, um, you know, but... It's wild, because that has the same amount of cores and threads. Right? So. But it's just funny to look back, all the way going back to 2010. That's 10 years of Core i7s. It's actually been a pretty good pace, especially if you look at the last three years. Intel has really stepped up the pace. It hasn't been enough against these current gen Ryzen's. Well, again, we can't really say that till we see Ryzen sevens in laptops. But you know, Common Lake H, respectable. You got to give it respect. You're going to get in laptops. You can't get a lot of these these uh, Ryzen's in high end GPUs from, you know, these super GPUs, Thunderbolt three. There's a lot of features, HDR screens, very $4,500. I'll feel better about Ryzen nine when I see it in a $4,000 laptop, I think. Yeah. But um, today common Lake H is, if you buy common Lake H laptop, you don't have to feel bad about it. Uh, we actually I do think. have somebody, uh, Euclidean prime numbers uh, on YouTube asking why are, why are there no fourth Ryzen 4,000 uh, CPUs paired with, 2070s and 2080s. You know, that has come up over and over again. Every time I do a press briefing with um, AMD, you know, journalists go, well, what's up? Are, why aren't there 2080s in here? AMD's like, you know, we, we're we focusing on the, you know, where people are buying. You know, a lot of people do not buy 2080, $4,000 laptops, $3,000 laptops. But they also do say, yeah, we, we think it'll come. Come on, we're new to this game. A lot of we're the parts are getting to the vendors. I do think we'll see it. Um, it's it could be. I don't know. It could be timing. Um, it could be just like if you're a laptop vendor, you're like, hey, I got these Ryzen nine parts. I don't want to pair it with this older thing. I want the new thing, right? So they want new GPUs. They want all the new stuff. Maybe they they're waiting for USB four. So there could be a lot of reasons. I don't really know why. Um, a lot of it, I think, is just simply it takes time to make a laptop. But again, that's why a lot of people say, well, this is just, you know, this is dumb. This lap, that's why the answer of this laptop would be better with Ryzen doesn't help anybody. Cause if you have to buy a $2,500 high performance laptop, your only choice right now for the most part is Common Lake H and it's a good chip. So I, I, I think, I think that's fair. I have a couple thoughts. One being, uh, for me, I'm not sure if it's true, but something to keep in mind is that both this these 2070 and 80 super parts, as well as 10th gen Comet Lake H, although it has more cores, they're both basically iterations of technology that's existed. So it's real, real easy for people who have these existing laptop designs just be like, okay, we're just going to, you know, move it up to the next level. Uh Ryzen never has really existed in laptops. It's been around. There have been some severe limitations. People haven't really used them. So we're at the point where, hey, Ryzen 4000 looks awfully interesting, but these laptop makers have to actually design these laptop designs around Ryzen 4000, 
whereas they have the already the existing ones for Intel and NVIDIA. Uh, so I think that would make a big difference. For what it's worth, Intel and NVIDIA, or NVIDIA at least, as part of its announcement, said they expect to be in about 100 laptops this year. And AMD also said it expects to be about 100 laptops in the coming months. So it sounds like they're coming. It just takes time. Yeah. And then also, you do have to remember, not everybody's a nerd. Not everybody knows how awesome Ryzen is. If you're making a $3,000 laptop, there's a lot of people that's just like, you know what? I'm going to buy Intel. You know, so that's that's the problem. That's the, or, that's the that problem. Has- it's a problem in some ways because Ryzen kicks ass now. But it's also, I think, a testament to, you know, the reliability and the brand that Intel and NVIDIA have both built up over the years. There's a reason why some people are like, I'm just, I don't want to worry about anything. I'm going to get Intel and NVIDIA because AMD does good parts. It has great stuff. Ryzen, obviously right here, we're talking about is amazing, but they did have many years of downturn on both the CPU and the GPU side. So it takes time to earn that trust back. Uh, also, Gordon, uh, we got a couple of people asking, uh, where is your famous money chart? <laughs> well, money charts, yeah, it'd be cool to see that, but it doesn't really affect um, laptops. Again, there is no price. There is no price that matters to consumers on these CPUs that's exposed to the public. If you go to Intel's website, you'll see all of the CPUs, I think, are $316 or something like that. Because it doesn't matter. What are you going to buy this and solder it into your own laptop that you're going to make? It's, it's not going to happen. They're all soldered parts. Um, I think where it matters is when we finally see enough laptops with Ryzen and we see enough laptops with Intel at the same sort of like, you know, 2060 with, you know, um, eight cores. So if you see a, a 10987 or 10875H with a 2060 and it's $200 more than uh, a Ryzen Ryzen 9 version or a Ryzen 7 version with the same GPU, same SSD, same RAM, then that's where you're going to see it. But it's really, there's no way to really determine the, the impact of price. We'll have to wait to see where, where these all come out at. One thing that jumps out at me, just to circle back a little bit, at this chart of yours showing Intel throughout the years, is we were stuck on four cores and eight threads for one, two, three, four, five, six different years. Then we see that big jump when they moved to six cores. And now only two generations later, we're jumping again to eight cores. So that pace of acceleration is greatly changed and i love it yeah i was gonna say something similar actually looking at this chart because of all the charts that are in your review gordon this one's my favorite just because it shows um i mean i know there's like a lot of debates and arguments about you know intel versus amd and you know there are fans on both sides but i think if you zoom out and this chart kind of just shows how important competition is I mean, Intel gave us four cores for so many years because they didn't have to give us more. And then suddenly AMD shows up and says, you know what? We're going to give the people something they didn't know they wanted. And now (laughs) it's just everywhere. It's great. Yeah. No, it's crazy, right? And I would argue that, you know, Intel does care about desktops, but they understand they can sort of give that up for a couple cycles on laptops. Intel has, has, has not given up the U class, uh, ISIC laptops. They're pretty awesome. Those are really awesome parts and they have really put, you know, they don't like giving up on laptops. It's going to be a fight. And that's why look, Intel saw this coming. 
uh, quite a while ago, right? They moved from quad core to, to, to six core to now eight cores. So they've been sort of ramping up to try to head off AMD. Clearly, AMD is still ahead, but Intel's still going, and we'll see what happens when they get a new process online. But it's it's just crazy, right? And we were just stuck. You can sort of see that just flat spot where Intel had no competition. Just there's just like mm, absolutely. And in some ways, I know. I mean, our crowd and you know even us, we we get a little more excited to talk about desktop parts, you know, because they're just so much bigger. They have so much more performance, et cetera, et cetera. But in some ways, I think the fight will actually be more interesting in the laptop space for the reasons you outline. Because if Intel has, you know, all this ground they don't want to cede because they've basically held so much of it for so long. And most people are buying laptops now, to be honest, and talk in terms of like mainstream worldwide, you know, what's in everybody's homes and workplaces. Um, they're going to fight that much harder. And as you can see from this chart again, the, if Ryzen is suddenly showing these huge in um, gains, like huge inroads kind of things, like that means that Intel just has to work that much harder, which means we'll see much more innovation, much more um, iteration faster. And better prices. Yeah, hopefully. that too. Yeah. Pretty soon, I'm going to have to uh, update what I expect out of a $650 budget gaming laptop. <laughs> Still a GTX sixteen fifty. Not during Black Friday. I was right about that last year. I, you know, Nvidia with their uh, their RTX twenty sixty at nine 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 is that's, that's very yeah. compelling. Yeah, that's great. and nine 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 means maybe during Black Friday those things are marked down at eight hundred dollars. So if you're going to get mm-hmm. twenty sixty with DLSS two you know, it's going to be an interesting ball game, especially okay. for playing RTX games. Like Minecraft RTX, Ooh, right, Brett? Oh, look at that yeah. segue. All right. Nice. So, yeah, that's the big news this week, right? Uh, news came out, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. The days are weird. Yes, like, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it was yesterday. Uh, NVIDIA and Minecraft announced that the long-awaited Minecraft RTX update is coming out this week in beta. The real so killer tomorrow. app for, my, for ray tracing. <laughs> the real killer app for ray tracing. It really is, as insofar as the fact that my kids don't care about graphics technology like I do, but they love Minecraft and they saw this and their jaws dropped and they're super pumped for it. And that's a very strong message for NVIDIA. Uh, Minecraft is still obviously like the biggest game in the world, basically. Uh, NVIDIA in a call with reporters was telling us that because it tracks everything through GeForce Experience, uh, even people who have this great GeForce graphics card installed playing all these new cut edge games and stuff. Minecraft is consistently one of their top five played games. So big deal. Uh, Minecraft RTX update coming out tomorrow. Uh, you need the windows 10 version of the game. So the older Java version of the game doesn't work with it. If you bought the Java version of the game before like October, 2018 though, if you go to your Mojang account, you can get a free key for the Windows 10 version. You just need that. You need to enroll in the beta. You'll be able to play in it in, in the beta. It looks amazing. Uh, I did a post about it that has some screenshots that NVIDIA put out. Like Quake. So so, so back up. Let's just start over again. Uh, most games these days, if you think about Control, if you think about Metro Exodus, Battlefield Five, they use what's called hybrid ray tracing. So they'll pick one or two elements to get real-time ray tracing. 
like shadows or reflections and everything else is just standard rasterized graphics like we've had forever at this point uh quake 2 rtx uses full path tracing so that means the entire game casts out all these rays the whole thing is just all ray traced it is what it is minecraft rtx is the same thing so that's huge the screenshots and videos nvidia has put out look pretty amazing uh i've been playing around with it i can't talk about impressions quite yet uh we will be streaming it tomorrow when the beta goes live, I believe, right, Adam? Yeah, yeah. we sure will. So, we, we still need to figure out timing, but it'll be tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have it, it's going to be, a, if you have a GeForce card, if you have Minecraft for Windows 10, it's a free update. Just got to enroll in the betas. You're going to want to check it out. If you're someone who cross-plays a lot with people on other platforms, you should be aware that uh, for this beta version with RTX, uh, Minecraft Realms is disabled, as is cross-playing with other platforms. So that's something to keep in mind if you're going to give it a shot. But it looks... I didn't think a chunky 10-year-old game could look as good as it looks in these screenshots. Yeah, those, those, those screenshots, I mean, even when they showed them... What was it? Was it Computex last year? I can't remember when they yeah, first showed ago. it. Yeah, like, Maybe Gamescom. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's like that, man. When you see it, it's like that mix of the blocky chunks that is the Minecraft world mixed with realistic lighting. Like that's, I don't know. I I know some people don't necessarily dig the style, but I actually really dig the style. I think it's a an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, and I actually, yeah, it's especially with like the high res textures and stuff. Though I, I don't know, I kind of like some of the screens with the the, the normal Minecraft uh, low res textures. When I first saw it, I wasn't thrilled with it either. Like when they first announced it a year ago, I'm like, that looks kind of weird. But it's grown on me over time looking at all the screenshots and videos and whatnot. I have a question, Brad. So the other day I went to Disneyland with my daughter, and I don't mean actually Disneyland because it's shut down, but um, there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's authorized by Disney, um, but but the mouse apparently has let them build an exact replica of Disneyland and the rides. And you can go to Disneyland and in Minecraft and ride in it. It's pretty cool. So we both went there. Do you think I might see that in ray tracing at some point? Although this is a Java version, I think so. You, I think we'll see that in ray tracing at some point. That's an important part to bring up. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, the real-time ray tracing won't work with your already existing worlds. You need to download a ray tracing compatible uh, texture pack and then create new worlds with all these new texture types in there. These, these I forget. There's, there's physically based materials is what NVIDIA calls them. There's a bunch of different... Before, it used to just be like color and opacity. Now there's like reflectiveness and all kinds of different stuff. Uh so you need your world to be able to support those. So you need to have these new texture packs. Uh, but what you can do, Microsoft, not Microsoft, NVIDIA actually wrote up a handy-dandy conversion guide that they have on their website where you can save your old Java world, convert it into the Minecraft Bedrock or Windows 10 edition, and then recreate it using the NVIDIA, uh, the RTX, you know, beta. So if you already have something crazy like that, if you found a world that's nuts and you really don't want to let go of it, it takes a little bit of doing, but you can, the day that the beta comes out, you can recreate it using all these new texture packs and stuff like that. 
Another thing worth mentioning that I didn't mention before is that in addition to ray tracing, this is going to include DLSS 2.0, the new faster, better, awesome version of DLSS that we covered a show or two ago. Uh, and I am not surprised now that I know that it's full path traced Minecraft to hear that it took this long for Minecraft to support ray tracing. Because full path tracing, like if you played Quake 2 RTX, like that's an old ass game and it can bring modern graphics cards to its knees because full path tracing is no joke. There's a reason why it's taken this long to get any sort of ray tracing in games. Uh, and there's a reason why most AAA games don't do full path ray tracing because it's strenuous. Uh, so for Minecraft to support that is really intriguing to me. DLSS 2.0, again, as we covered a week or two ago, just gets rid of a lot of the visual blurriness concerns of the first iteration and speeds things up. So I'm really intrigued to see its inclusion in Minecraft, how that's how, how it all ties together, how it reacts. I'm not surprised I had to wait if they're going full patch race though. I'm really excited to play it and play it a bunch. I'm really excited to play with my kids. And they're saying down to, to 2060, right? Every single, yep. RTX graphics card. Uh, DLSS will be automatically assigned by the game. So in a lot of other games, you can pick, you want performance, you want high quality, what do you want? There's some balance, I think, is the other one for DLSS 2.0. Uh, Minecraft will automatically do that for you. Just turn on, you know, DLSS upscaling, and it doesn't give you granular options because it's Minecraft. It just assigns what is good for your resolution and graphics card. So, yeah, all the RTX cards will do it. Uh, you can clunkily enable ray tracing in some modern GTX graphics cards. Like if you wanted to try to play Battlefield with ray tracing on your GTX 1070, you could. Uh, that's not going to be allowed in Minecraft. You have to have an RTX graphics card. And with it being full path tracing, I'm not surprised. That's my other question. So say if um, I'm playing with somebody, they have an RTX 2080, 2070. But because I listened to the internet and I bought a GTX 1080 Ti for $650 at the end of its lifetime, what would I see if I played Minecraft? Well, right now, during the beta, you can only use this and get into this if you have an RTX graphics card. However, once it rolls out into the main game, anybody will be able to join even these ray tracing servers. But if your card doesn't have dedicated hardware ray tracing... Uh, you'll just see the old school visualization representation. So you'll it'll just look like Minecraft. Yeah, just classic Minecraft. Like yeah. yeah. Sure, I'm glad I bought a 1080 Ti for $650 <laughs> in 2018. <laughs> that was two years ago, man. Probably a good buy. Mm. <laughs> I could have bought a 2080 for $100 more, but... <clears throat> anyway, uh, <laughs> so... so it, because it's it's fully path traced, do you think it'll come to the consoles like uh, at all with whatever I've ray tracing implementation? It will. Oh, you do. The oh, fact okay. that the Xbox Series X is coming out soon, I strongly believe this is going to be like the first, if not one of the first. Like they want this ready for the Xbox Series X's launch, would be my guess. Mm. Uh, which is going to be interesting because we still have no idea how strong or exactly how it's technically imp implemented AMD's RDNA 2 graphics inside the Xbox Series X, how it'll handle ray tracing. 
Uh, we do know it's not going to support DLSS because one, DLSS is an NVIDIA technology, and two, AMD's things doesn't have tensor cores. So we're going to have to see how it winds up looking. Although doesn't they must telegraph it because there's no way Microsoft is going to want to have a premier title on Xbox and run not like have butt. it run. Yeah, so yeah. you know, I, I maybe, it, maybe it makes me think 30. there's high confidence. No, I, I th- it makes me think there's high confidence in in the performance of RDNA two for for ray tracing performance. Right? They don't. They're not going to have tensor cores, but they are filling it up with uh, FP sixteen or something like that. So they they plan on using existing shaders to equivalize it, but haven't been able to test it or really deep dive into it yet. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's looking interesting. The path tracing when they announced that, I'm like, mm, that's. Because Quake 2 RTX, like, if you ever had a chance to play it, it's amazing how good Quake 2 looks 20 years later. I'm, I'm still, like, Minecraft gets played for many, many hours a week in my house already. I can't wait to see what it looks like in path tracing. So I'm, I'm personally super pumped for it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I don't have uh, – years and years ago, I had my own server uh, spun up. But I can't imagine how fun that would be to, like – and I don't have access to it anymore – uh, but I, I can't imagine how fun that would be to like go back to that old server uh, and like see it like with fresh eyes. You know all that stuff that, that we had built. Uh, it would have been so cool. Yeah, I'm pretty. And, excited. and one one final note because I keep there's all these little notes I keep forgetting to talk about. Uh, not only are there going to you're going to have these texture packs that Nvidia has partnered with people to release. You can you know start playing Minecraft with it. But uh, Nvidia also partnered with existing Minecraft creators to make five demo worlds that show off different capabilities. Like one's an aquatic underwater scene. The other one's like a jungle with a lava temple. There's an amusement park, stuff like that. And you can find them for free. If you just go search for ray tracing in the Minecraft marketplace and hop right into them and give it a shot. These are already, you know, fully fleshed out worlds that show you like the best of what it has to offer. So when that beta rolls out, Tomorrow on the 16th, uh, I'd highly recommend checking that out. Uh, Dennis Siberian, friend of the show, Dennis, uh, asked, does that mean since Minecraft is used for education that all kids can uh, now go out and demand a PC upgrade from their parents? Yes. You have my permission. (laughs) (laughs) Brad Chark is on the folder and says, yes. (laughs) You're going to get that when your kids come to you and say, well, you said it, Dad. We have video proof. Mm -hmm. That's, hey, I got graphics cards. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> nice all right well yeah like like uh like brad said we'll we'll be streaming it tomorrow look for the uh the info over on on discord um but uh i think we're all pretty excited to uh check out uh elena's review of ghost canyon nuck wait oh nuck. it's my turn all yeah, right hold on we have, we have some show and tell oh show <laughs> and tell time all right so um i have it right now in my lap but let's do a little history lesson. All right. So Nuck's opposite, opposite mirror. Okay. Hold on. (laughs) So Nuck's when they first came out were little four by four squares like this, right? General computing purposes. This one has a, I think a Broadwell era, like U-class chip in here. Um, And then two years, no, four years ago, sorry, Skull Canyon came out and Intel's like, hey, we made a NUC that's a uh, gaming PC. It, uh, oops. it has integrated graphics capable of 1080p gaming. So then we got a little bit of form factor size change here, right? Mm-hmm. It's like maybe like a paperback book size. 1080p 30, right? 
10 AP 30, smooth 30 at low settings. <laughs> um, and then uh, 2018, they're like, you know what? That's, that's not all. We have, uh, we have a super sized one. So now we have VHS tape sized Hades <laughs> Canyon here. And this one was interesting because it was a partnership with AMD um, for the KB Lake G chip. So you had Intel CPU in a package with AMD uh, Vega M, if I remember right, graphics. And uh, <laughs> so this one is capable of modern, or at the time, modern 1080p gaming. I was playing on PUBG very poorly, but I was playing in <laughs> PUBG on this. And that was pretty cool, like integrated graphics still and mm-hmm. all-inclusive one little PC right here. So I, I thought that was bad. super cool. I, I like I really like this as a project, right? So like mm-hmm. these these high end extreme nuts have been these kind of showcases for Intel's latest coolest tech, right? But starting to push the boundaries a little here, right, with the mini PC form factor. Because when I when I think mini PC, I I still think of uh, the compute stick. <laughs> 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 so, Ghost Canyon review went up today. We have moved. To a five liter wow <laughs> chassis, we are we are pretty much in small form factor PC territory now. I mean, it's kind of blurring the lines between the two here. That that reminds me of that looks roughly the same size as the Superstone Sugo SG thirteen or something. The actual mini form factor mini ITX case. Yeah, it's it was really interesting researching this. I didn't have oh my gosh, I wrote so much for my review. <laughs> if you get through all of it, I am very grateful to you for having that much interest. Um, I, I wanted to talk about some of the competitors because Zotac has uh, their Magnus line, and they've had it for a while. They keep updating it with new hardware, and some of those are like. 2.5 liter chassis so smaller than this like thinner than this right mm-hmm. um and they're still fitting in things like 2080s and like wow. 2070 supers in there Ooh, it must be screaming yeah <laughs> although so, there's they're using mobile parts right so um i think so i didn't look super deep into it because i didn't end up putting it in my review uh but i just wanted to have an idea of what the you know competition was like um, I'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, actually, I should have taken off the lid before. I don't have my screwdriver with me. The most interesting thing about Ghost Canyon is not necessarily the hardware, like in Skull Canyon and Hades Canyon. What's interesting is its design. This is a semi-modular. I'll say semi because some of it is sort of fixed still. It's it's pretty much modular. You just can't replace like the power supply and stuff right now because it's a proprietary form factor for that. But the CPU is housed within a compute element. And you can kind of see this from the back, right? So this right here is the back of the compute element. This is what holds the CPU, the CPU cooling. Um, you have all your ports. It uh, also contains the uh, slots for two M.2 storage drives. And uh, Did you ever see that picture of uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger holding a bazooka from like Commando or something like that? That's 100% what you look like right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I yes. love it. So, I'm waiting for Discord now to um, make a meme out of it. Um, do your thing, Discord. <laughs> and it also has the slots for the RAM. So the sodium slots are all on this thing right here. The concept is that down the road, 
if you get tired of the ninth gen processor or like even the USB 3.1 ports on your compute element, you just take it out and you put in a new one. So then now you're on what, 11th, 12th gen Intel processor, USB 4.0, um, you know, whatever else that they decide to cram on here, if there's ever a successor to Thunderbolt 3, right? Um, and then the other side here is the GPU, which is a standard off-the-shelf GPU. It's a shorter card. It's an, it, You can't do anything more than eight inches in length, but it is still, it's this, the one in here that they include with the review unit is um, an Asus Dual Mini 2070. So I have an RTX card in here. It's better than the card I have <laughs> in my home computer. <laughs> and it gives the, the 1080 Ti in my streaming PC right here, you know, decent reference money, right? Mm-hmm. So all this in five liters, and it's super fast to assemble. You just, um, I mean, it's not just drop in, drop in, because you still have to populate the RAM and the storage on the compute element first, then drop in, drop in. And you're good to go. It's still really fast, though. It's even, I think it's still faster than that H1 build that we did, the NZXT H1, that oh, nice. ultra compact uh, 13 liter small form factor case that we did a live build with. Uh, was it a month ago? Feels like two mm. months ago at this point. <laughs> Feels like two years ago. I know. Oh. <laughs> um, and I'll talk about that again a little bit later, just, you know, in terms of like where this fits into the ecosystem and all that. But uh, yeah. I, I think it's really fascinating that for Ghost Canyon, the the showcase or the, what it sets the stage for is the idea of mini PCs being like super modular and super easy to build because it's not just that Ghost Canyon exists, right? The compute element is supposed to come out later this year as a standalone thing you can purchase. And then companies like Razer and Cooler Master are, are going to release their own uh, cases that support it. And those cases are a little bit bigger, but they support standard small form factor power supplies. So you really, and oh, also, and they support full length graphics cards. So you can really customize a mini PC to your taste. You're not restricted by these um, dimensional kind of uh, limitations. And you can build it incredibly fast. Because the layouts, we saw them at CES, the Tomahawk and the, was it Mastercase NC100? And it's it's a really straightforward layout. Again, you drop in, drop in, tighten some screws, connect some cables, close the lid, and you're good to go. I mean, that's really nice if you're someone who used to build and don't really want to mess with thermal paste and, you know, making sure everything's routed correctly. Or maybe yep. you're, you've never built before and you're a little intimidated, then you can still roll your own rig that really meets what you're looking for women within reason. Cause you know, the form factor is still going to limit some things. Uh, so, uh, you can bring your own Ram. You can bring your own mm-hmm. SSD. Yep. Awesome. All of that. Uh, real real so, quick again, side question uh, yeah. from, from Dennis Siberian. Uh, he's asking, does that mean the previous iterations of what a nook was, uh, is kind of dead? Uh, do you no, think they'll just is- stick with this going forward or? This, so I should, I should have clarified. Sorry. So I, I used, oh, I keep forgetting this is mirrored. Sorry. <laughs> um, I use this as an example just to show kind of the progression, but Intel still produces this line, the standard line of NUX. I don't think they'll ever stop because these get used for like displays at, you know, trade shows. And I mean, they're small enough that you can just kind of use a visa mount 
right? Put on the back of a monitor and you have kind of like a, a, a thin client. It's obviously a full client, but it basically has that kind of all-in-one sort of vibe where it's not a lot of mess and clutter. Um, but this has always been a separate thing from their top of the line, um, it's almost like special project NUCs. They call them, they now call them official. This is officially the NUC 9 Extreme. Uh, code name is Ghost Canyon. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to refer to it by its actual, this model's actual name, which is NUC 9 I9 QNX. And I only know this because I had typed it so many times for my review. <laughs> Ghost Canyon's yeah. way better. Ghost Canyon's way better. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is just their top of the line special. I almost think of it as their special projects. This is where they use to kind of show off the kind of cool, um, not out of left field, but not necessarily expected type of projects they'd be working on. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in those little standard nooks, they're, they're still around. They're, they're producing. They just don't get as much fanfare, obviously. Um, any other questions or should I keep barreling on? No, I'll keep, keep barreling on. All right. So performance. So I had kind of a rough time figuring out how to test this because it's just a PC almost at this point. You know, I mean, it's, so on the one side, it's like, okay, you have mobile processors, a 45 watt processor. This model is the highest version. It's the Core i9 9980HK <laughs> uh, inside. And uh, we've seen it before on mobile, like, sorry, in laptops. So we kind of already know what this chip does. Uh, obviously, I wanted to see how it performs in the compute element specifically, just because we don't know how the cooling is, et cetera, et cetera. So my benchmarks look at that. But again, it's it's not a one-to-one comparison because laptops are designed differently than something like this. The the thermal uh, design, the layout of, you know, where the the heat pipes go and all that sort of thing, uh, how many fans there are, is so unique to every laptop to begin with. And then it's a different form factor entirely from this. So again, any benchmarks you see in my review are more to give a general idea of where this falls because there, there's nothing that you can do an apples to apples comparison with. I think you actually did a great job. I was saying that to you earlier. Like, oh, thank you. This is a super complicated thing. Your review is real interesting. I like the way you went through it. Thank you. Um, I basically just took all the questions I had about it and tried to answer. And one of them was, okay, well, it's got a mobile part. How does that stack up against competition? And the answer is, Again, we didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of machines to compare it with, and again, the machines are different. But it seems like the rule of thumb, where if you have more real estate for cooling, it's going to help you. But this, so this does, so this did a little bit um, had a little bit lower performance than like a ten pound, the ten pound Alienware Area Fifty One M on the, you know, because I had a ninety nine hundred K and. Uh, Obviously, so that did really well. There is another machine that I'm forgetting the name of that had a 9980HK, but it is also still a larger laptop that posted better numbers. Um, and then the compute element did better than a 4.5 Dell laptop with the same part. So again, I think just the loose rule of thumb is that probably the more space you have, a little bit uh, more uh, you can coax out of the chip which is the rule of thumb we have for laptops. But again, this is just kind of a, a different beast altogether because it's not constrained by having, you know, sharing space with a screen, um, being flat, et cetera, et cetera. 
So that's yeah, it's nice to see that it, it basically because 9980HK can be fast to slower depending on the thermals and it looks like that is right it's much closer to a full tilt part which is good you know because i was kind of concerned it being in a card is going to throttle a lot but it looks like it's fine and specifically one thing i will be interested to see in the future is like um this i don't know if you can tell but these are grills so this is all open on this side and on the other side so uh, actually, I it was cold in San Francisco while I was testing this, and I didn't need a space heater because when I was <laughs> running my benchmarks, this thing just kind of pours heat out. Um, Cooler Master and Razor's designs are, you know, more of a traditional computer case in that it's like not tempered glass, but it's like acrylic windows, and it's kind of closed up. So I'm almost wondering how performance will um, be affected. Almost like an EGPU by the, too. the case itself. Uh. Also, we have we have uh, uh, was it John John Dokic uh, asking uh, which throttles first, the Alienware or the Nook? Um, I didn't run any tests that really uh, pushed the part so hard that you would run into throttling. I mean, I guess our handbrake test was the closest to that, but I mean, so in handbrake, when I was looking at the um, the temperatures and throttling and uh, clock speeds in XTU while I was running a separate run of bench of uh, handbrake, not for the benchmarks, but just to see that this kind of held steady at around 3.44 gigahertz during that encode um, at a temperature about 75 degrees. And the power limit throttling did come on, but I just don't feel like it was being choked as hard as it might have in a more constrained package. I don't have the Alienware. I think that's the one that I asked about. So I don't know how it would do if I was looking at it with the same kind of, you know, tools and, you know, uh, intent. So the answer, the short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a desktop part. The Alienware has a 9900K in it. So Yes, that too. Uh, also, we just got $10. Thank you so much from uh, LaSalle Rhymes the third. Uh, it says, uh, thank you for the review. Are we going to see a Ryzen nook? No. <laughs> Why not? I don't, I don't even need to have an official word from Intel. I'll just tell you, no. I mean, it wouldn't be called a knack. I, we, we did see some AMD mini PCs back in the day, but they're, they're really far and few between, um, I mean, I think unofficially, like there's, this is not anything I've actually heard per se. It's just that uh, I kind of feel like Intel may be encouraging its partners to stick with them. Uh, I don't really know anything beyond, I don't know anything concrete, but uh, given what we're seeing in the market, I kind of feel like that's the effect. There yeah, are a handful. That... Oops, sorry. Okay. There are a handful of mini PCs that have Ryzen embedded chips in it, but it's not really the same thing. No. Yeah, and, and you know that came up, and also the AMD briefings. So, like, yeah, we we do expect you know Ryzen four thousand, not necessarily um, desktop parts. They expect them to show up in you know these sort of ultra small form factor boxes. I think probably the person is asking because there's an allegation, or I'm not really sure. I think uh, I think Ian Cutcher's over it in on Texas. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm hearing. You know, some vendors are deciding not to make Ryzen based um, nooks. They're sticking with Intel. I, I, of course, then immediately people then ascribe, you know, horrible, mean things. I, I, don't, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm I'm sure somebody will do it eventually. It's just there's so much to get to. They got to make laptops. They got to make 
desktops. You got a new version of desktop parts coming out. I'm, I'm sure small form factors are not things that get rolled, you know, every six months. So. And I'd also just keep in mind as kind of also like a small ancillary thing to that is that when we say that, you know, people are being encouraged to stick with one, you know, particular, you know, company for parts, it's not always like shady in the sense of, hey, like, don't specifically work with this other guy, because if you do, I'm going to break your legs. It's more of like, hey, we'd love for you to use our parts. How can we make that easier for you? And that can be enough to do it, too. Yeah, there's uh, all kinds of pricing incentive. And also the other thing is, look at our roadmap. We think we have response. The vendor goes, you know what? We're going to, we're going to bet on, we're going to bet on you because this is a good looking roadmap. We think it's going to win. So, uh, and also, the, I, I do want to point out this has happened in Intel in the past where KB Lake G was a, did not go anywhere. And you can bet that was NVIDIA down ringing people's bells. So, which is a bummer because that was a cool partnership. Yeah, I guess. You know, I can understand why. If you were a laptop maker, you don't invest in one trick pony. I mean, look at the, look at that KB Lake G Nook. They, they didn't get updates for drivers for 15 months. So who wants to be in that world? You know? Yeah. I think only Dell really adopted KB Lake G and that was it. Uh, HP, Dell, Acer had one. And then I think there were a couple Nook style machines, but that was it. Uh, also, a uh, friend of the show, Dennis, is asking, uh, do you think that these future Nooks uh, will ha- also ship with the uh, Intel dedicated GPUs, the Z graphic? Um, so that's perfect segue for what I wanted to talk about next, which is, so because this is modular, you have to bring your own GPU. Basically, when you buy this kit, it comes as a bare bones kit, and all you get with it is the chassis which includes a pre-installed power supply and the pre-routed cables and the compute element. And the compute element, you can choose between one of three options, an i5, um, the 9300H, i7, 9750H, and then the one I have here, which is the Core i9-9980HK. And that's it. So you have to bring your own RAM, you have to bring your own storage, uh, you have to bring your own operating system, and this time, you also have to bring your own discrete graphics if you really want to do anything beyond power, you know, several displays. Because the 9980HK and all the other, the two other chips I mentioned, are they're just standard H-class parts. They only have integrated graph, the standard UHD graphics 630, you know, chip in there. So you're only going to be really looking at monitors with those displays, maybe a little bit of the you know, quick sync type help that Gordon was talking about in his review. But if you're going to do anything like gaming or like heavy content creation type stuff, you're going to have to get your own GPU. So if that's the case, I could see Intel in the future potentially offering um, a special version of like two two variants, two SKUs, right? Where one is just the compute element version and then one is, you know, an all Intel box where you have the Z graphics card and the compute element in here. But that's assuming these take off enough that they're still really pushing that form factor down the road. Cause I'm jumping around a little bit here. But in terms of future upgrades, Intel has only promised uh, out to about 2022 for what their roadmap looks like, right? So they say that their products are in active development right now for 2021 for the compute element. And they are, how did they put it? Like actively discussing what their products are going to be for 2022. 
But I I still have some little bit reservations about what happens after that because you know, if I have a Core i9 chip now, I'm not going to want to replace it. Sorry, a ninth gen Core i9 chip now. I'm not going to want to replace it for probably about 2 years, which brings me to 2022. If yeah. I decide to hold on to it longer than that, what happens then, right? Or if I want to keep upgrading the box, what happens then? You know, what if they finally move to PCIe 4, you know, or some other technology that gets incorporated into the chassis that I would want to replace? So on the one hand, I do think this is very exciting. On the other hand, there's still a little bit of those nerves where it's similar to the the Alienware Area uh, 51M where, you know, Dell saying like, hey, it's modular, like, uh, you replace the CPU, standard socketed part, the GPU module, like we will have, you know, f- newer cards available for you in the future. And you're like, great, I'm buying this promise. Oh, I really hope you deliver. <laughs> you know? That's, I mean, that's, with that getting so big, that really is like the decision you have to make. Do you trust Intel to continue supporting this? Because really, if you buy that, you're buying into the vision of two or three years down the line. I want to be able to upgrade this mm-hmm. thing real easy. Because exactly. otherwise, that's like I said, getting close to the, size of like that silverstone sugo you know the little mini itx form factor and those support socketed mini itx motherboards and graphics mm-hmm. cards too mm-hmm. so yeah and it's the way that intel handled those hades canyon drivers makes me like eh, this thing's super cool but like do i fully buy into that vision like i have to do a little bit of soul searching before i yep. spend money on that thing yeah that's that's about the only downside to this, I feel like, if you're making that decision. Like, I think it's cool. I think it's, it's, if it takes off as a concept and it gets more widely adopted in the industry, then the, the job of this particular project has kind of been done, you know? Um, but if you're someone who actually buys the product and you want, you know, product support as you would with anything else you buy, that's super expensive because not this, not just the chassis grew in size, the dollar, the price tag did too. <laughs> as kitted out here, this review unit is about $3,000, like 3000 like 3050 It's And r- ooh, remind I mean, us what's in it like, real quick. Okay. So my review unit has an Optane drive, an Optane SSD rather. So it's the night. 905p uh 380 gigabytes uh right now street price for that is 525 a little over 500 dollars just for that one drive and then they put in a kingston drive in kc 2000 one terabyte which i think also retails for like 250 bucks <laughs> so they put some really high-end hardware in here you could get the price down obviously but it has those two storage drives. It has the RTX 2070 in here, which goes for uh, 420 bucks. The compute element itself, I don't know what the street price would be for that because they haven't released the standalone prices yet. But the the kit itself is $1,700 for the i9 version. So when you start adding all those things together, it it uh, gets pretty pricey. Yeah, in your view, it says the uh, four-core, eight-thread core i5 one is $1,000 and thousand fifty bucks too yeah so. those are expensive too but they were more of like okay well i can't reproduce this this is a unique product am i getting for that time period am i getting the best hardware that i can get for that price and the answer at the time was yes which is why i kind of gave those a little bit of a pass on price this one's a little harder to give that pass to because you could buy i actually i actually did a pc part picker list you could get an nzxt h1 build it out with the same parts in here, like the same storage drives and the same, you know, um, graphics card. And you would save about $700. 
which means if you wanted to, you could just upgrade that graphics card to what, like a 2080 Ti <laughs> like, yeah. or get really close to being able to upgrade to that because it accepts the full length card and you would have all that extra money, so to speak. It feels like what they're really pushing is is they want to, just like when the original Nook came out, a lot of people didn't get it, but it has actually turned out to be fairly successful uh, of a product in, in changing sort of small form vector PCs. It, it feels like what they're trying to really push to me is is the modular thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, I, it's a little crazy, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a tiny computer. I could see, you know, a, a, a mid-tower case with, that's built around uh, compute elements. I know it sounds crazy, but if you do that, they could add more hard drives or whatever. And for a regular regular person, not for a DIY person or somebody who's willing to rip out a motherboard and rebuild everything. But if you have like your family members who wanted a desktop with a lot of storage inside, a lot of more, you know, power, or whatever, you could build it on a compute elements today. And then 2022, 2024, remove and replace the entire module with the next gen part and you know it'd be you could it really enables sort of like this five minute upgrade which yeah. is not you're not going to do that with any of these small form factor boxes it's a real pain yeah. but i i kind of see that that's that's an interesting appeal i mean maybe not enough to overcome the price but i think you know it'd be kind of cool right or was that just crazy for the money i mean i when we, we talked about this and i actually uh ended up you know, discussing this in my the conclusion to my review, which is, um, I mean, honestly, I think if this takes off and you and there's just more demand for it, the prices hopefully would come down some. Um, and more specifically, I think the idea of using it in that mainstream application is almost cooler than this. I mean, this is fun because it's high end, it's new, it's different, it's unique, novel. And uh, don't get me wrong, I like that. But the idea of my family and friends who asked me for tech support saying like, my computer's old or my computer is slow. I need you to fix it. And I just go to their house, swap out one thing, rehook up some cables and just leave. <laughs> it's really great because I get so frustrated sometimes. I, I don't have much patience for free tech support. Yeah. To me, that's like, it's interesting to me that they chose to launch it in this way. I get it, it's a hero device, you know, it gets mm-hmm. the headlines, it gets the reviews, yeah. it gets, you know, talked about on podcasts. But for the Compute Element card to, you know, really take off and maybe be successful over the long term, I would think like maybe corporate desktops would be where they would want to go. Stuff like that. Because, I mean, if you could get something like that, put it in a beige tower, like, or say, or even a small form factor one that doesn't need the screen graphics. That's just, you know, every three or four years, five years, you can just pop out the old one, put in the new one, not have to replace all the hardware around it. I mean, that uh, it could have some legs. Or an all-in-one, right? Same thing. Yeah. You build an all-in-one around it. And, yeah, for sure. I mean, Intel actually has been pushing modular computing for a while. It's it's never really caught on. So they had, at Computex, not this previous year, but two years ago, they actually had a, a compute element card that literally would let you have a modular laptop where you very much like that computer element card, you swap the insides out, put in a new one and you'd have your upgrade. It really isn't meant for end users, but it was, it, the concept was pretty radical and I, and I kind of dig it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I'll just cap off 
uh, this real quick by just talking about gaming performance, just because this is being marketed again, like its predecessors as a gaming machine. Uh, it's again, it was weird to test because I mean, you can pretty much drop in whatever card you want, as long as, you know, it's within, within that eight inch or less kind of uh, length. So what I did was more look at whether or not you could, uh, survive without a graphics card and the answer is no it's really just integrated graphics on the on the compute elements so if you want to do anything that's more than just powering displays you're gonna to have to buy some kind of discrete graphics card even if it's like you know a really cheap one looking at those charts made me laugh by the way i know i was <laughs> i actually was a little scared when i did that because I just could hear like the vast internet talking to me saying like, (laughs) we knew that was going to happen. Why would you do it? It's like, well, sometimes it's kind of nice just to see how bad it is. Right. Or just Mm -hmm. how it shakes out. I did think it was really funny that shadow of war would not let me actually change the settings to ultra though. That was pretty great. (laughs) Like it changed the the label to ultra, but if you looked at all the settings, it was still set to low. I just, (laughs) well, we'll call it ultra if it makes you feel good, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it was really funny. Um, uh, so testing it was partially for that. And then t- uh, I also wanted to see how much having a mobile CPU constrained gaming performance, because I feel like that was a question people were going to ask. Well, it's like, well, why wouldn't I build in like the NZXT H1? Because that one takes a standard mini ITX motherboard. I could put a, a full 95 watt processor on it. You know, I wouldn't have to worry about my performance getting capped. And so I, I ran some benchmarks. I did um, Borderlands 3, Metro Exodus, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, even though, you know, playing those games generally tend to put more of the load on the GPU, I thought to myself, well, if you're going to care about losing frames, you're going to care about it in the games where dipping from the 50s to the 40s or, the you know, especially the 40s to the 30s is going to make more of a difference than if you lose 10 frames between 90 and 80, you know, frames per second. Like, that's not going to matter as much, right? So the, the short of it is that, yes, obviously, you do get less performance than with a desktop CPU. And how much that's, the delta is going to be is going to depend what you're comparing it to. I only had a 2700X to put it up against. If you did a 9900K or 3700X as your comparison, obviously the numbers are going to be different. But when you look at the actual hard numbers you get with this machine, I mean, I was still getting, you know, 60 frames per second in Assassin's Creed Odyssey on 1080p ultra high. I think that's pretty good. Oh, so points. if you're if you're looking for something very small, small footprint, I mean, still reasonably portable, you can at least put this in a backpack. <laughs> you keep seeing me shift it from arm to arm. It's like carrying a baby where you're like, oh, okay, I like uh, this arm now. Because <laughs> um, it's not super light. It's not like these these smaller uh, nuts here. But if, you, if you're looking for that kind of form factor where there's a little bit of portability to it, a smaller footprint, then you're trying to decide if you want to make that trade-off between like, you know, building a small form factor PC or trying something interesting and new with the modularity here, that kind of tells you where it lands. You know, you're still going to get very solid performance if you pair it with a good graphics card. Um, that, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's more interesting for the fact that it's blurring lines and that you, you have this option now. And I feel like that's always been kind of the case with these Nux, but never so clearly as with Ghost Canyon here. Like choice is a good thing, 
you know, going into a store or going online to decide what you're going to build and having a harder choice is actually a good thing in the long run because it means that you have just that many more options. Yeah. Oh, I didn't actually ding it for this, but for me, if you're going to call this a gaming PC and not give me RGB, I don't know what you do in <laughs> Intel. <laughs> What you doing? It has a skull. Good point. <laughs> it's weird. It's funny to me that it's called Ghost Canyon, but it has a big skull in it. Why don't they make it into like a ghost shape? It's because the first one was <laughs> called Skull Canyon, yeah, and it's never had the skull ever since. So the first one has a skull in the front. Uh, I keep doing it. Yeah. Direction first. yeah, it's like their old motherboards used to be like that, too. Yeah, you can see yeah. the skull right here. And then Hades I wish I'd kept one of those. RGB. That's why I'm complaining. <laughs> you gave it to me, and then you took it away. Well, people don't remember this, but the original Intel, you know, extreme motherboards that they actually made, contract built for them, but they had a they had a skull and the LED. If I remember right, the 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 eyes would light up red. It was it was just pretty awesome. Back when they made motherboards. Yeah, I I am very look, much looking forward to uh, trying out one of the. Uh, third-party vendor cases down the road. So like Cooler Master was saying that there's uh, might be coming out in summer, like, you know, with all coronavirus type things, you know, a lot of product launch dates are up in the air, but uh, yeah. We, we saw what, know. three variants at CES? I thought we only saw two. Cooler Master, Razor. We saw Cooler Master, we saw Razors, and then we, we saw, saw Cyber Power, Cyber Power had using one. Cooler Master's to do their own was, yeah. like version of it, which I think is also cool. And then I bet power has one as well. Um, it was, there's this full prototype, not even close to real. Hmm. And, uh, theirs is really interesting because they had built it larger, you know, again, it's shoebox sized, but they had made it. So it would take mini ITX and it would take a computer elements card. <laughs> I was like, are you hedging your bets here? Because it's like, oh, it's going to go nowhere. <laughs> Switch it over to a mini ITX. We'll sell it this way. But it was actually kind of a cool design, you know. I actually think that's pretty smart, though. Because what if? Because it, it actually, not even just for their purposes, where if it doesn't take off, they can still build in that case. But as someone who buys into this concept, if you don't get support from Intel past 2022, <laughs> you can at least still reuse that case and build a standard mini ITX build. Yeah, you know, I think it was interesting is Intel was also sort of like, yeah, we're open to, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to go down and help AMD make these. But if, if somebody wanted to take a mobile part, put it on, uh, you know, a compute elements form factor size, put it in case, go for it. You know, it didn't seem like they, they're okay with anybody doing that. So you could potentially see a Ryzen based one, I guess. It just wouldn't be certainly branded under Intel. Cool. We'll see. Um, any, anything else to add for for the review? Anything you want to follow up with? I think we're going to try to do some game streams on it, maybe. Yeah, I think I think the next thing I want to do because I didn't really have time during the review period is to just do extended long gaming sessions on it, just because that is it is different the real world experience in a game versus using you know built in benchmarks. Because, um, like for example. Uh, I use Assassin's Creed Odyssey because it has a reputation for being a little harder on CPU resources, but the benchmark is fairly short and it's not the same as being in the game where suddenly like you're in the open world and like your frame rates drop, you know, kind of situation. So yeah, 
I don't I don't know what my game would be, but I'd love to do a stream with it and I'd love to have suggestions. So if you have any ideas, hit me up. Sweet. Uh do we have some time to uh to do some some questions or uh are we running out? Everybody good? I'm, yeah, good. I'm good. All right, cool. Then uh we will switch over to some questions. Uh and I have my my trusty assistant BB who uh Bibi. Yeah, who who had joined me earlier. Uh she she's getting comfy on my lap. Uh so <laughs> I thought it was funny, Adam, because you were holding BB and like petting her, and I was at the time I was holding this, and I was like, "What if I just start?" No, it's gonna look weird. Uh, and she she loves to dance. Yeah, I love. To, anyway, <laughs> the uh, first question um, was uh, over on Twitch a while ago from uh, the Ace of Spades eighty uh, two. What is the most budget oriented GPU that can accept a full water block? Uh, Sixteen uh, sixty super fifty six hundred XT. Do you know? I don't know that off the top of my head. If you go, I mean, you would need a reference design, I would think. Typically, water blocks support reference design. Sometimes you'll get custom water blocks for one-off, like a ROG Strix or something like that with a custom PPB. But typically, they're built around reference designs. And I think you need one of the 1440p cards to start getting to reference designs, like uh, the 5700 or the... 2060 so right around 300 dollars would be my guess from there on up they all had reference design that would be my guess as to where most of them will be you could look around go to ek water blocks ekwb look around but yeah that'd be my guess okay cool sorry she's just she's trying to make herself comfy on my lap and it's not working <laughs> um Sorry, uh, i i do not i can't i can't even guess on this i think it's <laughs> some it's M N W A. I have no idea. Uh, do you think Intel's TB- TDP calculation method for desktop parts is transparent for consumers? Yeah, because consumers don't care. I mean, what, what? My feeling is, if you put the chip in, it doesn't nuke. That's all that matters to 90%, 99% of consumers. So I know everybody likes to, you know, wring hands over TDP and all that stuff. But ultimately, the only thing that matters is how fast it runs your games, how fast it runs your applications. If it doesn't stop working in 12 months, who cares? Okay. Who cares? Uh, so, <laughs> well, yeah, because, no, I mean, no, really, I, I understand people like, I mean, I don't, it's like, if it's within specifications to meet its lifetime, then it's just sort of like arguing about nothing, you know, it's tough for us reviewers. It's maybe tough for people who want to argue about it, but for 99% of people, again, they just want reliability and speed. So that's what you should probably judge it on. Uh, um, can I jump in real quick, yeah, Adam? I just happened to look at the YouTube chat. Um, so Rick Elder on YouTube asked uh, or said that uh, he kind of wanted one of the Skull Canyons, but without the Skull. Uh, I think they're still being sold. I don't know if you really want a four-year-old Nuck at this point. But one thing to note is that the panel is replaceable. So it came with one without the Skull on it, too. So it's not you're not stuck with just that lid. And uh, that's one thing I noted in my review about Ghost Canyon, because the, the two previous predecessors um came with different pan like lid panels that you could swap out uh you're just stuck with these grills that's it there's no there was nothing else to replace it with oh that i just really missed it in the box and if that's the case i'm sorry intel 
Okay. Uh, and uh, earlier, I totally forgot to mention this, uh, but it, it kind of came at a, a bad time. Uh, Karthik um, gave us uh, 200 rupees. You did it. Yes. <laughs> Not rubles or rupee rupers. Or rubles. Yeah, rubles. Uh, it said um, Ryzen 4000 HS plus RTX combos versus Comet Lake H 10th gen plus RTX Max-Q, which is better. Also, do you think all AMD laptops will be competitive when they come? It's hard to say till you actually see them. I know a lot of design announcements, not exactly high-end, pretty much you know mid to low range. Um, I would like to see an AMD. I think if you're looking at, just get back to your question, if you're looking at Ryzen 9, with RTX 2060 versus Common Lake H. With 2060, I would say Ryzen 9, if you're looking for CPU performance, overall CPU performance is going to be better, going to be the better laptop performance because 2060, 2060 is 2060 in both laptops. Ryzen 9, better performance, possibly better price. But when you're looking at 2080, 2080 Max-Q, 2070 Supers, 2080 Supers, if you're not going to be able to get AMD laptops with those parts in them right now, with the panel you want, with Thunderbolt, with this feature, with this RGB keyboard, then you know what? Then ultimately that Common Lake H Core i9, Core i7 is going to be better because unless you're so focused on CPU performance, you're willing to give up a 4K HDR panel or an OLED display or Thunderbolt 3 or this port or this keyboard, then you know it's not really worth it. So, But yes, definitely it looks like 2060 Part to part, yeah, I would say probably the edge definitely going to be in Ryzen 9, but you're not buying just the CPU, you're buying a whole laptop. So, weigh it all. Cool. Uh, okay, over on uh, Discord, you can get your questions anytime during the week on Discord. There's a link to it in the description. Uh, they they sit there, and then we can answer them later on the show. Um, Rare asked uh, yesterday, or was uh, talking about a situation there, and they have a, a, a Maxwell Titan X, um, and somehow it's still worth around $350 on the used market, uh, and it performs just as well as a 1070 Ti, uh, according to them. Um, they're feeling the pressure to sell it while it's worth this much money, and they could easily get a 5700 XT with that, uh, but they want to wait for Big Navi. Should they, should they wait later at the risk of maybe getting less for this card? Or just jump jump on it now because because this is probably the best they're ever going to get. I'm surprised you can get that much for that car. I know. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to pop in just because it's a money question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I I would say that independent of the like the question about performance and what you're looking to get out of the card, um, I would say that. The, my answer to this question really depends on what your budget is like normally for graphics card upgrades, right? So like, are you dependent on selling this card in order to finance your next card? Because I feel like if you are dependent on selling this card to finance your next card, that really changes your decision-making process versus if it's kind of like nice to not have to spend the extra money, so to speak, but you could have and would have done it anyway if you weren't going to get $300 for the the card. So uh, I'll leave the kind of performance kind of aspect of the question to Brad, but that's my, that'll be my angle in, when making this decision. 
for one of the angles. Yeah, I'm surprised you can get that kind of money for it. Like I said, uh, Big Navi, we don't know what's going to come. It could be months and months. So it would depend on what you're looking to do. Like she was saying, like if you're going to sell your graphics card and not be able to play games for months, that sucks. Or if you have to buy another game to hold another graphics card to hold you over in the meantime, uh, it really comes down to what you want to do. <laughs> and if like you if, have any old cards, backup yeah. cards around. Yeah, there's no yes or no answer to that question. I have. I'm surprised it costs that much. I don't know what it'll cost in five months. I'm surprised it costs that much now. I mean, if it's getting that much, you can actually sell for that much, and you can float for the five months or whatever that takes for Big Navi to come out. Uh, go for it. But if it means you're gonna have a crappier gaming experience for six months, I just keep keeping on, keeping on, man. Don't you? But don't you think? Because we talked, we. This was a running joke for a long time. Remember when they came out with the Titan X Pascal mm-hmm. with the same name as the Titan X Maxwell? People like they were just like running to sell. I think maybe the value is because people don't, don't know, know which one they got. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I just got Max. I just got a Titan X. Oh, you got the Pascal? Well, it must be. It's a Titan X, right? Mm. I hate not. it. I yeah. I, although I do say my, my, my two cents would be, you know, we're sort of, there's rumors of new NVIDIA cards. Obviously, NVIDIA or AMD says we're doing big Navi. Do you really want to buy current generation hardware when new generation hardware is around what might be a long corner, corner, but still, I, I, that's a bummer, but. I mean, I think the Titan X, I haven't benchmarked the Titan X in probably two years, but I would think it would get, Maybe not quite as fast as the 5700, but not that far. It wouldn't give you like such a noticeable performance difference that it's like, wow, you know, I just upgraded my card. Whereas if you wait for Big Navi, it could be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, using older hardware, uh, Tailpipe had asked, uh, how important are newer processor instruction sets? My Sandy Bridge era E5 2689 8-core 16-cred thread 3.6 gigahertz boosting beast is still relevant, which I think is hilarious, but lacks AVX. Why shouldn't I run this thing for another decade? Uh, it just depends on what you do. I will say, you know, instruction sets used to be a really big marketing thing for Intel and AMD because it's like, hey, we have this instruction set. We've got SSC, we've got SSC, blah, 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 blah. It always took like years for developers to support it but when they did support it it made a huge difference like the the current um ice lake cpu has all kinds of advanced you know ai stuff which is really cool and if you're actually going to be running applications that use it just smoke anything before it but if you're not going to run it it's not that important and yeah i've said this for a long time i think a sandy bridge 2600 is a fantastic part Still, for a lot of gaming, you know, you're not going to be playing AAA games and you're definitely going to be bottlenecking performance with a 2080 Ti, but it's a hell of a card. There's a hell of a CPU. The only big problem with the, the 2600 is you have no security mitigations, may not necessarily be a big deal, but the rest of it, it's like having a, it's a Chevy with 250,000 miles with, with manual windows. You've got PCIe 2, you don't have native USB 3. There's just all kinds of things. There's no NVMe support. It's just like 
it's just an ancient car. It still runs fine, but you've got a lot of miles on it and just moving to something brand new. would be like, wow, this is nice. That's is the reason I upgraded. I've talked about this before. My 3570K to the Ryzen 1800X is because of that extra stuff, the USB, the, you know, NVMe drives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's great for me. I really love that upgrade. But if you're just using your computer as like a gaming rig and doing email and, you know, spreadsheets and stuff, and you don't use AVX instructions and you have no need to ever plug in a USB 3 external drive to your thing or whatever, and it's working great for you, man, just keep it. Keep it, yeah. you know, keep on keeping on again. I would say the, the only tiny caveat to what Brad just said, because I, I, I fully agree with him, but if security mitigations are important to you, like that would be the only reason to like push you, I think, um, into an upgrade, even if like everything else is working for you. I got lucky with my Sandy Bridge. Like Gordon gives me grief for this all the time because I happened to buy the one like um, motherboard <laughs> that got the uh, patches I needed for what was it, like Spectre. Uh, lucky, lucky. He's like, he was well, like, yeah. Well, someone in like some government office somewhere must have chosen that board. So you got super lucky in that draw right there. <laughs> yeah. Whoever so that if, is. If, you know, you, uh, I agree with Elena with that being said, also, because she's like, just the caveat to Brad's. Here's a caveat back to <laughs> is, uh, that security mitigations will have to mean a whole lot to you because upgrading your whole system at this point means CPU processor, oh, a bunch sure. of other stuff too. So sure. Ram. unless you're like doing government secrets or business secrets and stuff on your computer, you know, I, I wouldn't do it. No, Brad, Brad is totally right. I can't think of another thing to caveat on top of that to keep the cycle going. So I'll just let it, I'll let it left there. That's funny. You uh, win, Brad. <laughs> All right, some uh, real quick rapid fire um, uh, options out here. JC asks, uh, "Do we have a recommended VPN? And anybody use a VPN they want to recommend?" Uh, it depends what it's for. <clears throat> is it like for security, or is it for watching Netflix while you're abroad? Doesn't say, but they're using IP Vanish, so they're asking if there's a better one than that. I I use my work VPN whenever I need to, so I don't have a private VPN. But we do have a best VPN thing. Like we have a dude named Ian who is like super security and privacy conscious, not just security, but also privacy, which is, I think, a unique angle. Uh, I think a lot of VPN services just look at, you know, the features and stuff. But Ian really cares about your privacy, too, and takes that into account. And he we have a best VPN thing uh, article <laughs> Duh. that he keeps updated all the time. He's constantly reviewing mm-hmm. these things, let you know what's doing good. Yeah. Right now, he recommends one called Molved. Uh, so if you want to go check that out, you know, best VPNs on PC yeah. world, he's like, if I was gonna, I'm like, Hey, I need a VPN. I can't get in my work VPN anymore. I would reach out to Ian and ask Ian what he thinks. Cause he's that knowledgeable. So I highly recommend go check. Cool. Okay. And I, I actually, I'm, I'm a big fan of Nord VPN and they've mm-hmm. been big for a while. So Nord is one of the biggest names in the field. You'll see like them advertised everywhere, but, um, don't let that deter you because I mean, they actually are pretty solid. Um, and they actually, it does actually work for Netflix. I can attest while I've been traveling abroad. <laughs> okay. Uh, another, another quick one. Ziv, uh, was asking about, um, strategies for backing up computers. Uh, anybody have some, uh, strategies they want to share? Do it. I mean, I, I don't have as robust a solution as I ought to. Like I dump, 
things on a NAS that has, it's like set up in RAID 1. So it's kind of like a really janky, like things are kind of backed up if I need to get back to it someday. Um, but I've been also using uh, like cloud storage as well. I'll drop things in there. So I, the short of it is I do not have a, a clean solution. Yeah, I, I've given up on NAS units. I've just had too many fail. So generally what I do on a build for a family member is, uh, you know, you have a backup hard drive, you have a primary SSD, everything gets backed up to the hard drive. So you just let Windows happen, handle it. And the reason I like that is you go over, you you pull out your USB flash drive that you previously built to restore the image, and then you, you're there back up and running assuming Windows doesn't mismanage the backups. And it's been actually really good at that. I I have an external hard drive over there that I'll drop important stuff on every now and again, you know, every couple of weeks. But in general, I don't really care about that much longevity-wise. Like, I'm not someone who goes crazy about I need to keep every picture I ever had of my kid. And I have most of my day-to-day work arranged so it saves to the cloud. Uh, so that I can pick it up at any PC because I have from PC to PC quite often. So I do a lot of that. And then I'll just back it up to the external drive and to my local drive, you know, to my local drive every week, to external drives every two or three weeks. You know, I don't, I don't go too strenuous. While I'm plugging stuff on PC World, we have guides to the best Windows backup. And I'll nice company man. I like it. Uh, what no, about- it's just that those, those guys put a lot of work into that. They look much deeper than I do. This just worked for me, but it's very basic. So, uh, what about recommendations for universal power supplies? Uh, we had, who was it? Uh, da, da, great Mighty Daddy was asking about them. Does PC World have a hub for uh, universal power supplies? I don't think we do, actually. You, you stumped me. <laughs> Does anyone it? have any recommendations on that? I was trying to look at the box. I can't pull it out right now. I'm using, I've been using the CyberPower one for a while. Yeah, that's, that's what uh, I have. And too. it works fine. I've had no issues with it. I have had the power go out, and I was able to shut up my computer. So, <laughs> I kind of wish someone would make a universal power supply with a battery. And again, I have disposed of a pile of UPSs. Um, I finally gave up after that last one because... You have these things for emergencies. The emergency happens once every 36 months to 50 months. Those lead acid batteries always go flat. And I don't understand why, because, you know, they're sealed lead cells because they're cheap. And then eventually the stupid things, the batteries go bad. You got to buy new batteries. And it's just like, you know what? I will just, nothing I'm using is that critical. I'll just go to a to a laptop at that point. So I've sort of given up on the whole UPS thing. I do have an actual Honda generator for real emergencies, but and the UPS is like, all I ever do is Which sit has there gone and complain bad many about times for some reason. All these things go bad at Gordon's house. I guess. <laughs> You're going to, cause you, you, both of you will be like, Oh, the, the blood acid. Let me go buy this. Well, the stupid UPS is 60 bucks and the lead acid replacement battery is $45. And it's just like, come on. So I wasn't going to say anything just because I, when you don't have any recommendations, it doesn't seem prudent to speak up. But I will note just kind of, uh, I'm just riding on everyone else's suggestions today, apparently. Sorry. Um, 
that one of the reasons I don't is because in California, or at least in the Bay Area specifically, we don't tend to have a lot of power outages. They're pretty rare. So I think that's why we run into that issue that Gordon's talking about, because you're not going through like discharge cycles and whatnot, maybe the way you would if you lived like I know a friend in Florida says that they have like rolling thunderstorms a lot that can take out the power. So having a UPS in those situations would be much more necessary. I lose power every couple of months. Yeah. So I do also think that um, if you are in an area where it's not as common to lose power, maybe listen more to like Gordon and like the problems he's having. But if you're like in Brad's situation or like in an area where you do have to encounter that, then yeah, like, you know, find the best recommendations for that. I can't help on that front. Sorry. But I thought I just kind of throw that in there. Although I do like that they have these lower cost sine, pure sine wave. UPSs now? Yeah, that is pretty cool. I used to actually run a pure sine wave um, one as well until the battery went out and the battery was too expensive to replace it. So check the whole thing. Great. Why can't they make lithium ion based battery backups? I think they'd be very expensive. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, all right. Bring it on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last question from friend of the show, Dennis, uh, Siberian. Uh, he says, um, is there a computer tech from the past, software or hardware, that you would like to make a comeback? And oh. BB's trying to come back. I do. Everyone's going to laugh, but I do. Yeah, what, what do you got? Firewire. <laughs> yes, Firewire 800. Man, that I was mean, a good time. It's times. been superseded at this point. Like, It's not really necessary, but I just wanted to come back. Um, because if it was brought back, it meant that it would mean that there was enough love for it for it to come back, and I just feel like it never got enough love while it was actually a thing. That was a failure. Firewire <laughs> 800 was more of a failure than Firewire 400, because at least Firewire 400 was a lot more available. So, I don't know. Uh, I would actually like to bring back optical drives. And optical drives haven't gone away. You can still run them in USB, but Ooh, good Lord, try to find a case with a five. Actually, that's what we need to bring back, not optical drives. We need to bring back <laughs> drive bays, right? <laughs> I want to see cases with five and a quarter inch drive bays. Wait, what wh- why would you need a drive bay if you're not going to populate it with an optical drive? It doesn't always have to be an optical drive. It could be, it could be a zip disk. I, I have a, it could be a zip disk. I have a, like a little Nixius drive bay thing. And then I have this ancient Cooler Master three gauge thing that has like a, a, a little thermistor gauge, temperature gauge, and then it has like an audio gauge. Some of those are actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't the you Nixius have Nixius clock I have? Uh, didn't you have like an audio meter one too, an analog yeah, audio meter? Yeah. yeah. That one yeah, was cool. Yeah. That, that's, they has that. And then I have one that has like an older, you know, those Nixie clocks or whatever those tubes. There's no way to show – everybody's just like instead just pushing your RGB fans. Try, bring back the drive bay. You can put RGB in a drive bay. Gordon says bring back the You're drive bay. You're just going to fill your, your bays with RGB, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get away from the PC and go with the uh, Nintendo Zapper, the old light gun that you played on the original Nintendo. Oh. I wish there was still something like that these days. Uh, I used to love playing Duck Hunt and the one where all the robbers popped out of the building windows and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't know specifically, but I, I 
I know they they there's been companies that have tried to adapt that stuff for LCD uh, screens. It's always a little janky. Yeah, yeah, it's never perfect, but yeah. Uh, I love fun. going to the arcades just to play like in games. Still, like when my kids go to Chuck E. Cheese's, I'll go play Time Cop and stuff like that. Yeah, Time mm, Crisis. Yeah, Area Fifty One. Uh, Time Crisis. Yeah, yes. Time Cop is a much different movie. <laughs> it's a different movie. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to be boring and say uh, sound cards. They should come back. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's let's uh, take it out of here, Gordon. Why don't no, why don't we? I'm hungry. All right, check back next week for your fix of PC talk on the full note for audio listeners. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, and also please leave us a review. Every time you do, a case vendor builds a case with more dry bays. Send questions <laughs> and comments to the full nerd at pcworld.com. I'm. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with Brad Charkas. Got lost yes. there. It's over here. Elaine E. Bye, everyone. Uh, Adam Patrick Murray is going to hit the off switch. I can't. My cat's in the way. She's, <laughs> she's blocking me. Right. Bye, everyone. Stay safe. <laughs>